Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Madams Cast. Please uh, download and share widely amongst your own virtual communities, or stick it on a tape recorder and broadcast it to the entire nation. It's up to you. Um, you could, of course, just stop listening right now and go and do something more useful. But in the meantime, if you're going to hang around, let's have a guest on. Now, you might remember if you've listened regularly that at the end of each episode of the Madam's Cast, I like to nominate someone, um, or rather, I like to get the person that's the guest that week to nominate somebody else to come on. It's a rather lazy way of me getting new guests to come on, which is good. And as a bonus, I get to meet new people. Today, we have our second nominated guest on the show. And she is a lovely lady called Sabina, and she's from Germany, and she's a friend and was nominated by the very lovely Noni Dwyer. So here she is. Sabina, are you there? I am here. Hello. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Number one, the technology's working. That's good. Um, can you tell me where you are? Um, I'm in Germany and I'm more um, detailed in the south of Germany on a beautiful lake called Lake Constance. Um, I'm actually, um, I'm feeling quite fortunate to live here at the moment. Um, it's bordering Switzerland and Austria and it's Germany's biggest lake um, as far as I know. So wow. um, it's, it's very nice. I'm living not right by this, by the um lake but like second row so i have two minutes to walk to jump in the still very cold water but um yeah it's a beautiful place to be and um as i figured out a place with a lot of beautiful um and a lot of organic produce around so very interesting producers um a beautiful spot to have found here in germany since i've been back from australia which is around two and a half years ago so. Oh, blimey, you've got a lot in there. That's really yeah, good. Yeah. And, um, so two and a half years, which is obviously where you met Noni and you were yes. hanging out with her for a bit. The way she describes it is that you saved her life in the um, kitchen. Yes, um, we um, we were both... Uh, let me just quickly. So we Noni was working for a really lovely befriended couple of hours who um, do like a... They've been doing an online butcher shop. Um, They have made connections to farmers who produce meat in an organic or biodynamic way. And they had um, like a – you could go and pick up your meat on special days of the week and you could order it beforehand online and, yeah, or they would deliver it to you. And Noni was part of a team – producing a couple of small things like duck rillettes and, you know, things. And yep, yep. Um, one night they had like a big function with a befriended chef of mine who asked me to help him out that night, but he didn't really need help, but um, Noni did. So she was in that <laughs> kitchen and it really, you know, it, yeah, it was a very basic kitchen and she was in there rattling the pans and I just walked in and asked her if she wanted some help and she <laughs> she said, yes, that would be lovely. And so we met right in the middle of um, busy service, let's say, and um, it was great. And we just never left each other again. It was um, very nice to find a like-minded soul. Um, That's and, lovely. That's yeah. really lovely. Yeah, I like it's, that. And yeah. the crucible of a busy kitchen is a good place to to, to sort of forge relationships. Yeah. They either tend to go really well or really badly. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, it sounds like you, sounds like you got you hit it off with yeah, uh, we, with Naomi, though. Yes, so we did. Brilliant. What did you cook? Can you remember? It was a long time um, ago, right? I. Uh, you know, there was obviously some really lovely meat, which she cooked in a, I can't remember, in a very simple way. Everything was so, um, how I like it, very produce driven and not much done to really beautiful produce. I remember that she was um, sort of blanching and then um, sautéing these um, bitter leaves as a vegetable going with um different meat dishes she had prepared. And I, that came very oh you know that that still is very vivid in my mind how mm. we blanched these really beautiful kale and radicchio kind of types and then just put them on with a little bit garlic and olive oil you know just very basic but such delicious food which yeah yeah i, I don't know some food touches your heart really much and you know and then you keep it in your mind for a very long time and yeah yeah, that's yeah i agree yeah. i agree and it's so much about the place as well isn't it yeah. i was wondering when you were <laughs> when you were talking to me about where you are now mm-hmm. about the lake and there was yep. two things i was wondering about the lake one you mentioned swimming do you like to swim because i love swimming and one of the one of the worst things about the recent international difficulties has been that my swimming pool is shut. Um, so so that, that, as far as I'm concerned, that's the worst thing that's happened. Um, so I wondered whether you actually enjoy swimming in the lake, cold yes, or not cold. And I then do. two, oh, you do, you're a yeah. swimmer. That's good. I find it very, it's a really nice form of exercise because it just sort of makes you feel better straight yeah, away. Yeah. And yeah. even the cold um, water, especially the cold water does something yeah. really amazing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yes. as long as it's not too cold to be <laughs> yeah. honest i mean you know i don't mind a bit cold i was swimming in um have you ever been to the swedish archipelago um i i've been very briefly in stockholm but i've never been out on the um archipelago actually no mm. no okay well it, it, it's basically the baltic okay yep. um and we were there last summer in august it was very lovely we were guests of some friends and it was just amazing we're on this little tiny island there's mosquitoes everywhere but apart from that it's entirely brilliant um and we were swimming in the water there and it was cold i'll tell you it was cold all right no no <laughs> No, no larking about. It was properly cold. And I have this young daughter. She's aged eight. Her name's Flora. And she loves swimming. And she wouldn't get out. And I was like, you're going, you're turning blue. <laughs> you need to get out. And she'd get out for about 10 minutes, uh, go through hypothermia, come out the other side and go, right, let's get back in again. I'm like, no, no, don't do it. But that was what made me think actually a little bit about this lake. Are there any fish in the lake? Yes. It's funny because um, I've just been out, you know, I was thinking about what I wanted to do before I was talking to you today. And Mm -hmm. um, we have like a local fishmonger. And, you know, it's a, a, let's say, a a village where I live and it's dead in wintertime or everything sort of seems to close up by mid October, um, but now it's very much alive. Um, <laughs> and um, we have this little fishmonger, which is here, which is now really in peak season as well. And you can get um, freshly fished um, fish from the lake. And I went actually this morning to get a little bit. Um, look, I am not well prepared enough to have found, to have found the translation for this fish. But oh. in Germany, we call it and it looks a little bit like a bigger whiting which i know from australia but it's um it's a very 
small, slightly smaller fish and has very delicate white meat. And mm. I was, yeah, it yeah, no, it's it's not sunda, but it belongs into the same sort of, um, yeah, it, it's similar, even in taste, I would say it's similar. But um, I love those yeah, it's beautiful. Fish. So, I love those freshwater fish. Yeah, I, mean, I, I will when, do. Yeah, I like perch, I like pike, and like all those things. We're not really yeah. supposed to take perch in this country anymore. Um, oh, I don't know yeah. quite why, because there's lots of them. But anyway, I've got completely sidetracked there, talking <laughs> about the fish fingers, um, which, is, which is good. Um, so, Sabina, I don't know whether or not you're a massive fan of the Madam's Cast or whether you've read the document that I sent you in advance, but basically I'm going to ask you about three things you'd yep. like to change mm-hmm. about the world. Okay? Yep. And they can be as funny silly or serious as you like no one's gonna mind which way you go with that you might go one way you might go another you might go both directions i don't know whatever you want to do uh let's have it yes um, i think i think you're gonna have some really good ones it's just a vibe <laughs> i've got from this initial <laughs> chit chat that we um, I'm looking forward to finding out about them. Have you got? Uh, have you? Are you ready? Yes, you I've feeling- got my. I've got Spindler's list next to me, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've written down a few things. I, I wish. I tell you, I wish um, my things for the oh, my my ideas for changes would be as funny as <laughs> our conversation so far. But I look. It's not that I'm seeing it um, very pessimistic, and I think we need a lot of fun in the kitchen or in you know in food related um things uh, anyway but i i think my my three ideas are rather serious oh I good good this is good yeah? because and without oh. making it very dull or anything but yeah i'll fall it happens, to me, it happens to me at dinner parties. The people sat next to me ask a simple question about what I think about the food. And about an hour later, they start yawning. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I think I might have over-answered here. Um, I, I, cannot believe, I cannot believe that you went there with Spindler's List, by the way. I, I, I immediately thought of using that as a gag. And I thought, I can't. I mean, it's just going to be it's potentially hazardous, that. I'm not going to go there. And you've just put it out yourself. But not only being brilliantly funny but totally pulling the rug from under my feet that's good. Um, Sabina, I think this is a perfect time to launch into the proper serious part of the madam's cast okay, i'm looking cool. forward to finding out your three things i okay. might interrupt if i yes, want to zoom in or helicopter a bit um oh that's annoying that's really corporate speaking isn't it if i want to if i want to look more closely at something yes or I want to look at it from a different viewpoint. Yeah, I might interrupt so. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I think it helps the conversation. Anyway, right. Um, well, it helps me have the conversation. Anyway, <laughs> it's probably just. No, it's very, it. it's very inspiring for me too. Um, okay. Shall I start with my um, first and for me most important one? Go for it. So, um, just a quick uh, information for this. I am over the last maybe six, seven years in, uh, of my time in Australia, I've, um, really, I've been focusing on, um, in my personal life, but as well in my, um, professional life in the kitchen environment I used to work and to see how I can, um, reduce 
the food waste and not you know from a environmental sort of point of view but as well um because i thought we as professional chefs you know people who learn this job we should be more creative and i always thought we have enough knowledge to not throw so many things away which probably have so much flavor we can still let's say squeeze out of them and so i made it a little bit my um yeah my mantra and i try to teach chefs i was working with and trying to get them being more creative in that way that we would not um, throw things away which we could make into really delicious things um, maybe with techni techniques we've been using for many many hundreds of years um, as people around the world and um, yeah so that was basically my main focus and I still think and you know that is my number one that we have to try in a professional um on a professional level, so let's say in hospitality, but as well as um, end consumers to reduce um, the food we're wasting. Um, yeah. And, yeah, look, I could probably talk like hours about that, but um, I've been um, I've been having a little bit difficulty to, um, since I've been back in Germany, to actually find... Um, You know, I, I had this wonderful place. I worked in Australia and people were really into this whole topic and somehow all my friends, all the friends in the chef industry were really on top of this topic of trying to use whatever we have and trying to work on your skills, you know, to, to make it a challenge, not to throw things away, but make something delicious out of it. And I find myself here in Germany um, where people are, let's say, a little bit more conservative, conservative, especially in the hospitality industry. Mm. That I, um, I basically I realized I have to, I have to be a pioneer here to um, still have this focus in my work because nobody really seems to, and nobody is. It's not true, but it's not on a very high point of the priority list in restaurants. I okay. figured out, which That's makes me very sad. But you know, yeah, it, it as well. It, sh it was a little bit shocking for me to realize because when I lived in Australia, I always thought, um, yeah, and Europe is so much advanced in all these environmental conscious. Things, but yeah. Oh, well done. Ten years <laughs> on, what we've done is we've all got together in Paris and we've had a chat about what we're going to do. Oh, well done. Well <laughs> yeah. done, everyone. Big clap, hands up, champagne, caviar, the whole works. Congratulations, yep. everyone. Oh, no, we're not going to meet those targets. We've just set arbitrary targets for fun. Yep. Right, okay. We're going to use it as a way of raising taxes of people who refuse to change their business because it's easier to do it in a wasteful way. Oh, right, yeah. okay. That doesn't really help, though, does it? No. Well, it gives us money. Right, okay. And <laughs> you know, I, uh, yeah. It's, um, it's a little, yeah. Food um, but I think um, what I did a lot next to my work in the kitchen in Australia, and I think that would be a really good start to drive this a little bit further here in Europe. Um, I, I did a lot of workshops with people um, 
and you know workshops where they had to pay a little bit money for but it was more like not necessarily first of all not necessarily how to cook things but you know how to go shopping again and how to organize your shopping a little bit more because I you know I've been seeing that with my own family and friends you know they go on these things you know they go somewhere even if they you know it doesn't matter if they go to the supermarket or to a market and you know they have all this lovely food but then it's sitting in the fridge and they don't really know what to do with it or what to use first and you know they're like without being um, boring but you know I went with people People through uh, imaginary um, shopping bag and said, "Look, you know, if you've got this, then you should use the zucchini before you use your potatoes because you know they're going to go off sooner and yeah. things like that." And I think, um, and then we started cooking with things, you know. Um, but I think there are so many stages um, handling food and learning again. Um, how to handle and handle food and handle it well, um, where I think you could do a start. You know, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm always the thinking mindset. about the house, how how to yeah, yeah. put it further. And um, I think you, you know, in my that is my way. I'm thinking about many things in life. I think um, small things help. I've got a lot of friends um, who say, you know, you have to go big, otherwise you won't, you won't be able to make change. And I can see that, but I feel as well that you can start small with people around you in communities. And um, actually, I, I think that's yeah. probably that, you know, sorry to interrupt, but I think actually community, you know. Apart from anything else, when you connect with people around you, if you've got more food than you need at a particular time, for whatever reason that might be, okay, maybe you've been fishing and caught more fish than you expected. Maybe you've grown some vegetables and they've got away from you. You've got too many. You're going to dry some. You're going to pickle some. You're going to ferment some. All of those other great techniques. But ultimately, you can go around to a neighbour or uh, we have a little table in our village where people swap plants and, and excess food and things. You can just sort of notify people on Facebook that you've dropped something off and they'll go down and, and swap it out for something or pick something or they'll just let you know that they've got something or whatever. Yeah. Actually, that is, that is not a small thing. That's a brilliant thing. And it's something we used to do, but we've forgotten to do as we've moved further away from a real understanding of the actual value of food and how important it is. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm just listening. And um, it's very funny that you say that because at the beginning of this crazy COVID um, phase, I watched this movie tomorrow. Have you heard of it? Um, it's a French, um, it's a French um, team of a she's a I don't know a woman who's quite famous because she's a um actress a French actress and she took a French oh. cameraman and somebody else and it's a documentary about people who changed things um not just in the food industry but for you know change thing for um 
audit positive changes um, for the environment in our world at the moment. And the projects are just so amazing. And there's one very amazing village in the UK, which is um, sort of presented as well. And they had a very similar system to what you just described. And for me, it was just so amazing to see that it really works, you know. And it was a community who then sort of, um, who started small and then, you know, they have um, partially their own currency in their little um town oh, and is it yes is, is it Totnet? Yeah, yeah it is yeah yeah yeah, down no, in, no, yeah I, well that's in the town where i live in that's yeah, in devon i mean that devon, is, yeah. you know they're, they're, let's say um Totnet are quite sort of left field mm. quite sort of human kind of vibe about them really nice really nice people and um it's quite a special place but it, it doesn't need to be a special place no. everywhere can do that on some level or another we can all do this yeah um can you to bring it back to food a little yeah. bit specifically you give me a really good tip i'm looking for a tip of what everyone can do in their kitchen at home or at work that's a real quick win that's going to save some waste um save some waste um what is my yeah here is my favorite example um um, there are many people around these days and i'm one of them who love broccoli broccoli yeah um so if you cook broccoli and many people you know use the stem but i see enough people around to take the nice florets off the broccoli eat them and they throw the stem away and i know there is a very um old-fashioned um pasta sauce recipe from italy um and you know again people used to do this you know people didn't throw things away because people were not having a lot in former times so you know that is one of the reasons why these discussions are somehow so maddening in a way but um so look you can peel the stems of the broccoli and you can um, saute some onions and a little bit garlic and put the broccoli stem bits in with it a little bit water and lemon zest and chili if you like and you know you let it cook until it's soft and then you can either mash it up or puree it up and you have the nicest either a spread for your bread or you if you mash it up you have a very rustic pasta sauce and it's delicious and everybody Everybody has, uh, you know, many people have broccoli in their fridge and they throw the stems yeah. away. So, it's a very popular vegetable. And actually, yeah. I think that's a brilliant tip. I, I think the the temptation sometimes when you're being, when you're a chef, as you know, we are, uh, is to um, go a bit too chefy with stuff. And yeah. actually, that is a great one. I mean, uh, if all the restaurants in England started using the stems from their um, from their oh, broccoli. The, um, <laughs> from their broccoli. Do you want to take over? Can you run this podcast? Because I'm hopeless. Yeah. Um, uh, then I think saving like literally hundreds of tons yeah. of wasted edible matter every day. Yeah. And that reminded me actually the reason I got knocked off my little train of thought there. Uh, it's quite easy. I'm very easily distracted. I see sparkling. Things and I go, oh, that's interesting. Well, I've never made anything uh, of myself. But one, one of the things <laughs> that occurred to me the other day, I was visiting a food charity doing some amazing stuff down in Cornwall, which is the county next to Devon, yeah. where I live, which is where the 
addresses. So um, we popped down there to see them and they'd taken over a restaurant preparation kitchen. They were processing tons of waste food that was destined for supermarkets, but left on farms. Yeah. It's called gleaning over here. I don't know what they call it yeah. elsewhere, but they glean the, the vegetables and they send them to this charity and they were preparing stuff out of it. But they were, they were preparing these boxes and boxes and boxes of cauliflower and they were throwing away all oh, the leaves and the stem. Oh, and I, was, I, I couldn't oh, say anything. It was one of those. I was just like, do you know what? These people are doing such a brilliant thing. You cannot come in here and start picking holes in their plan. <laughs> <laughs> but I just wanted to say, what are you doing with the leaves? <laughs> Don't throw yeah. them away. Yeah. Roast them or, or ferment <laughs> them. Or, you know, yeah. They're really tasty. Make them until they go crispy. Powder yeah. them up. Use them for something. I don't know what it is. But that's a really great example because it's something everyone can use at home. It's a common vegetable that everyone's familiar with. And I think that is a brilliant example. Sabina, thank you very no worries. much. Okay, so, um, food waste. It is a big one. I, mm. I read a, I mean, I've got a book that I always talk about when I talk about food waste, which is by an English chap uh, called Tristram Stewart, which must be 10 years old now. And yeah. that's about... Um, the global scenario or the, how the global situation for food waste looked a decade ago anyway. And it was really, I mean, mind-numbingly, some real sort of mind-blowing facts in there, you know. And one of the ones that sticks with me is that all of the people in the world that are currently calorie deficient, i.e. hungry, could be fed on the waste calories of the US alone. Yep. That's... How did we get into that situation? I mean, yeah. I know, and we have, we're not going to solve it in a 40-minute podcast, right? No. But, I mean, putting stuff like that in front of people scares them, and they go, well, I can't help with that. I mean, it's far too big. Yeah. Giving them a, a stem of broccoli and empowering them to make an extra meal from something they've already bought is going to fix the problem, you know, and everyone can cope with it. So I think that's fantastic. Thanks mm. for bringing it up. No worries. Yeah, it, oh, uh, God, that was, oh, <laughs> It's, oh, hard. it's heartbreaking yeah but look there's um there's a lot of hope in there you know that is it's not fun um talking about it but i still think it's not as dire as i sometimes see it when i look at it when i'm not you know when when i'm not in good spirits but i think there's a lot of stuff we can do about it you know and yeah. uh, um one thing i have to say you know, I think people often don't care because they don't need to care because they don't need to care financially. I mean, you know, mm. but I talk to many people in these workshops and, you know, often um, single moms or single dads as well, you know, where um, it's as well, even in professional um, environments, it's a matter of um, financing, you know, your food and being able to make ends meet, you know. And um, I think for many people, it's a big topic these days you know especially in those corona days we are still yeah, in, yeah there's, there's a lot of instability around yeah. that's for sure yeah. and that is gonna always gonna impact on mm. people's yeah. uh, people's lives and i think yeah i'm i'm with you though the way to change it is to be positive about it and equip yeah. people with tools not for a worthy reason of saving them some money and saving some waste and help having a knock-on benefit for the environment because all of that stuff is great but people will not engage short term with it they sort of look at it and think it's too big for me yeah but giving them something really tasty yeah that isn't going to cost them a penny more than they've already spent on their shopping yeah, is a, it, something that everyone, I mean, I want that. I, and, you know, I want you to come and go through my fridge and say, Tim, 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 what's going on with this sardine filling here? I mean, what's happening? 
I think I have to um I have to think big now. I do something what Gordon Ramsay did, you know, going into people's kitchen. I can go into people's home fridges and <laughs> tell them what they oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the idea. <laughs> you are world famous as a food <laughs> hero and a, a kitchen, you know, common or garden name in everybody's <laughs> Just remember that it all started for you on the Madam's Cup. I, I will always remember that, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure, that, I'm sure that both of my listeners will write in to agree. Fantastic. Um, are you ready? Are you feeling limbered up and ready for yep. point number two? Or yes. Or explore um, some... No, the point number two for me is always very densely connected to the point number one. And, you know, I listened to a few of your podcasts and I know that... Funnily, when you talk to Noni, there was a little bit of a similar thing, but I'm still going to mention it um, because I think it's part of the food situation we are in or part of the reason and in which situation we are in um, at the moment as people all around the world, I guess, is um, I think that um, there's a huge, for me, a sense of disconnection between people who consume food all of us and um, the food actually. So, you know, many kids, they don't even know how food grows and where it actually comes from. And for me, that is, you know, if you have no relation, you know, to things and to people and to your food, you will never be handling it very well you know you're not treating it the way it could be treated you know not the best way I think and uh, you know it makes me very sad when I see people in supermarkets and you know I don't want to do it in a uh, I don't want to sound judgmental you know I know as well there are reasons why people go to supermarkets it's convenient and not necessarily always cheaper I think but you know there as well financial reasons and um but I think we have to reconnect with food and itself and the people who are behind the food, so the producers, and that is a very, yeah, a very important and very crucial thing. I think yeah, we have yeah. to change. Um, and I think in a very early age, you know, I'm thinking about kids in kindergarten and schools you know and I mean there are already things in place you know we've got I know that slow food is doing quite a bit I used to do like a little school garden project in Sydney many years ago which was organized by slow food and but often you find these um, projects in let's say in um, areas of towns or you know, on social levels where kids are quite privileged and I think it has to be accessible for all kids, you know, and I think kids have to feel, um, you know, they have to get their hands dirty. I mean, literally, you know, I've been working um, through these COVID times. I've been working um, with friends of mine again. I've been with them on and off over the last couple of years for quite a bit and they're winemakers in the northern part of Bavaria and oh, hang, on. hang on this is sounding good <laughs> they make wine That's they make fact. wine and you know but for I, me I like- yeah 
I think as a, you know, even I as a chef who is normally having the things on my chopping board in the kitchen, I, I think it's just nothing like digging your hands in the soil and feeling and seeing things grow. I mean, you will know that you worked at the river cottage. I mean, you saw the whole cycle of life of plants and, you know, how it got onto a plate later on. I think mostly I spent my time in a, 20 foot by 20 foot stainless steel box full of ovens and angry people. Um, <laughs> oh, well. Then that's romantic. Noni was telling different things. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm painting a bleak picture. That's not true. I was occasionally allowed out to go and, and look. And um, what I really like, I mean, I was probably once removed from the production now. I have to say, I'm not much of a one for gardening. Yeah. I, I quite like rearing animals. I quite like hunting. I quite like fishing. I love foraging. And I, I sort of have, have lots of interest in, in all of those things. But I, I, what I really enjoyed growing was the relationship with the local suppliers. Yes. That was something so you nice. don't learn at chef college, you know. <laughs> I mean, and it, you know, in times when you know, I I finished my apprenticeship in '99, and um, yes, you know, I mean, the produce that was sort of um, magically appearing in kitchens, you know, by delivery vans, and it was always, of course, you know, I worked a lot in fine dining all around Europe, and it was always very amazing produce, but it was never really, you know, it, it didn't matter. It, it was, um, it, it had traveled like 300 kilometers from a different country, or probably yeah. even even better, you know, the more exotic, the better. Um, but, you know, it, yeah, it was not, yeah, you didn't see the person behind it and you know that was my search over the last let's say 10 years of my chef life to um find these people behind it and i i love having relationship to people i I think that is what i find so beautiful about this job still after so many years you know not just about the people you work with in the kitchen but the people you work with outside the kitchen you know and yeah that's I'm with you. I'm with you. Reconnect people with food yeah. using education and food. Because let's yes. face it, everyone eat, right? I mean, that's a clever way of doing it. Here's something tasty that was grown around the corner, or here's a plain bag of crisps flown in from Holland. <laughs> <Yeah. know>? <laughs> My kids would probably ask for crisps. Um, but there we go. Mm. Never mind. Uh, have you got children? No, I don't. Oh. Okay. Well, it's um it's one of those it's a constant battle with them it's a sort of like right this is you know here's the sort of world of manufactured food and here's what i'd like you to eat and we're sort of meet in the middle somewhere that (laughs) seems to be the way the way that things work for us anyway but they're pretty good they're pretty good yeah and look Um, i have to say when i say all these things um i used to talk to noni about this um a lot Uh, and then obviously things are changing when you have a family. I feel very, um, in a way, you know, sometimes a little bit stupid if I'm talking about things the way I do because I don't have these responsibilities and kids are demanding. And, you know, the way you eat without kids, it's a different way um, you eat when you have children, you know, and you have a family. Um, so, 
I, you know, I understand that and my ideas of this and how it could work, they spring out of my own situation, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe it is much harder than I think it is. But again, if you say from the beginning, oh, it's too hard, we can't do it. That is just not, you know, the way to change things, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Just put interesting stuff. I mean, a friend of mine, I've said this before, I think, but a friend of mine's a food photographer and she sort of stopped me in my tracks one day. I was thinking about something different. We were having a chit-chat about um, children and what they eat and and, and she just looked at me and she said, yeah, but they're, they're not a different species. If you give them nice stuff to eat, they'll eat it. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, you've kind of – I was I was going off on my long, lengthy conversation in my head and she just sort of finished it all off with one <laughs> sentence and carried on with what she was doing. And I was like, oh, well, that just shows how much hot air I'm full of, really. Okay, brilliant, fantastic. And Sabina, I absolutely think it's perfectly okay for you to have an opinion about that yeah. when you don't have any children. I think that's, you know, we're all entitled to our opinions. Mm. And um, and you, like you say, you've got to change stuff one little thing at a time. Perfect. Mm. Brilliant. Reconnect people with food via education and eating nicer things. That sounds brilliant. Um, are you re- have you got number three up your sleeve? I've are you got, ready? Uh, yeah, I've got number three up my sleeve, and that is something which uh, <laughs> which I'm. You know, we we talked about how much we enjoy people in our job just now, and that is the link to it. I um, it's something for the professional world of um, chefs, I think, and or in hospitality in general. I think we need to learn to communicate better. You know, I, I think people in general have to learn that in many ways, but um, I um, started studying psychology before I um, started my chef apprenticeship. And, you know, I've oh, always... <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You can't just rip that out and say, oh, yeah, by the way, I was studying psychology. Uh, well, okay, look, um, uh, now, now I'm massively paranoid that you're... <laughs> The other end of the internet, <laughs> analysing everything I'm saying. I know. I'm just interested in people, behaviour and communication. Yeah. And uh, look, I um, I had horrible um, years and times in kitchens, you know, where you get thrown in situations and, you know, other people, they probably didn't know better. You know, other chefs didn't know better and they, you know, you could have saved so many tears and you know um, moments of anxiety and over all these years when I was learning and an apprentice and all that um, and probably I would have learned much earlier to um, overcome this anxiety and you know make better food because how can you make and produce any good food when you're constantly under such pressure and you're anxious and all that you know I, I, yeah. I think you can you can taste that as a customer when oh, the atmosphere yes, in the kitchen is so poisonous, you know, and I, I, um, I've met so many people who went through the same thing, and I mean, it's still existing out there. But you know, in Australia, I saw many other ways, and that became sort of my way. You know, how I wanted to run a kitchen as well, but you know, I I saw many other people who went through the same shit and through the same pressureful environments in kitchens and they still 
did it the same way. And yeah. that is just, I think it's not good enough. You know, if you, if you're passionate about this job and you're not just a big egomaniac who thinks, you know, I, it's all about me and my great idea. It's about every person who's there with you in the kitchen and you have to, yeah. first of all, treat them well and treat them like human beings and you have to communicate you know if you're passionate about something at the chef you have to learn to communicate to the others and because they are part of your project you know if, if you are in yeah. a, if we're talking in hierarchy and let's say you are the head chef or something but anyway in in you know I never really tried to have such a hierarchy in the kitchen I worked in or in the last kitchens I worked in when I was leading people and um, it was more a giving and taking, you know, and I think it's all about learning how we, tr he, how we want to be treated and how we treat other people because, yes. you know, it's all about people. For me, it's very human related. It's about the people who produce, you know, the people who might, um, you know, drive or get the stuff from A to B to my kitchen uh, And, you know, it's about um, the people I'm working with in the kitchen and outside the kitchen and the, on the restaurant floor and wherever. And, you know, we have to learn to, yeah, talk to these people, you know, and yeah. communicate. I wonder, um, I wonder sometimes if that anxiety that, that causes these negative um, vibes in kitchens – comes from putting creative people chefs essentially go into cooking for two reasons one they failed at everything else in school or two and sometimes both reasons and two they're creative um and then try and make them into sort of business managers and we give them so much stuff to worry about that isn't really cooking i'm not saying they shouldn't have any responsibility for how much stuff costs you need to have a business that works but i think those pressures then manifest because of bad communication as you say mm. in ways that are less than ideal when you're running a busy stressful kitchen I think because let's say you're the person in charge and I feel like I can talk about this a bit because I have done it once or twice that you can you can get sucked into your own concerns so much about the business and you're putting so much of yourself into it that whenever somebody does something there's a perfectly normal human error or is off sick or is having a bad day or or is knackered because they've worked 80 hours that week you know you're not always in the best place to step back and go actually this is not the right way to handle this we need to be better about it mm. so I think I'd like to add to I'm not really allowed to do this because it's your point <laughs> but I'd like to add to your point number three that we should place less demand on people who are cooking food to be at work 60 70 80 hours a week and we shouldn't incentivize them to work harder and be more efficient in a negative way that that is broken and yeah. should not happen anymore and it was a, a lovely point and the question is you know i for me fine dining and you know my my first years after my apprenticeship they were explicitly you know in fine dining restaurants and you know i was believing that that the, was the way i wanted to work and cook you know and it's just i'm questioning if that has a lot of a, oh, a long future in our lives because you know at the end of the day i do you really think that you make 
uh, create a better experience for a customer by having a fun dining meal on the plate, um, which is, of course, you know, which needs you to have 20 people working for 16 hours in the kitchen, you know, to, yeah. to get this meal on, you know, it's, um, the, do we actually think about this? You know, and I, of course there are brilliant ideas behind it, but is the outcome, that is what I'm questioning. And I, I have answered that question to myself with no, you know, the outcome is not better or a, a more touching one. You know, you know, I, I cook because I want to touch people somehow with what I yeah. cook, what I, with the experience I'm giving them. And there is much more to it than just my brilliant idea behind something and the 20 people who work for almost nothing for, you know, 16, 18 hours in this kitchen for six days yeah. a week. You know, it's, yeah. you know yeah. we're talking so much about sustainability and it always stops there. You know, I mean, our job is one of these jobs where it's still so legit to have big egos in a running kitchens without ever questioning could we not create food which is manageable you know and that is what you just said which is manageable for us to produce in a way that we still have fun and we can have fun you know kitchens are not these um you know as you said you know you <laughs> locked in somewhere where you where you <laughs> slave for hours i mean it's a hard job you know and it, it will always be a hard job and it's great. I like that about it, you know, but can we not find a level where, you know, where we enjoy being together with people who are in an ideal world as well, passionate about what they do. And we have mm. great produce, which we probably don't need to, let's say, manipulate that much. And the outcome on a play makes somebody else having a good time. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I talked about this with um, Annalise Gregory in, yeah. a, in a previous uh, episode, yeah. and I don't. I'm not sure what the answer is, but the model, the model, has to change. Yeah, right. Definitely. You, it just has to change, and I don't know if that means that some restaurants are only open four days a week. I don't know if they have twice as many staff. I don't know if we have to start paying a lot more for the whole experience of eating out, or whether mm. restaurants need to offer less. Yeah, you know. Some of the best food you ever have is in that little kind of joint on the high street where there's a guy in there making noodles and it's only ever that guy in there and there's only yeah. ever two things you can have. It's these noodles or those noodles. And if you don't want noodles, go away. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I quite like that too. Yeah. You know, that's a, and, and you'll never have a bad bowl of noodles in a place like that. Yeah. And I mean, look, um, when you talk to Annalise, I mean, she did a big step going out of Sydney, um, moving to Tasmania because she said, yeah. she, I, I know her quite well. And she told me many times that she can't cook or doesn't want to cook like that anymore, that she wants to be yeah. closer to all, you know, to the sources where the food comes from and have relationships again. You know, that, it's exactly that, you know. I, and, I mean, in Germany is not big. I, I don't know about the UK that much anymore. It's been so long that I've lived there, you know. But it's not – Germany is not like France and Italy where these tiny places somewhere outside cities – uh, existing and people travel there because they know they can get a great pasta, a great, very simple wine 
and you know that's it and yeah. they don't have to pay the world for it and it's just an amazing um experience and they don't have a menu which has like 20 items on it you know where they can yeah. they, they probably don't really have the choice they eat what they get given because that's the best yes. thing which was made yes. for them yes you know they yes. Exist yes. because yes. it's a service it's hospitality somebody cooks something for you which that is somehow in our restaurant world nowadays, I think, lost somewhere on the way. And I think yeah. it would be nice if we could recreate it again. <laughs> yep, I'm all for that. Let's yep. bring it back. Come the revolution. Come let's the make re things more simple and more more delicious. That I mean, yes. that, for me, that's it. Really. Yeah, I think let's that is, you know, and, uh, you know, altogether that was not too too um dire and black yeah i think there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. a lot of good stuff which can happen you know and um we we see that things can happen in the world on a global stage which make us think about things and probably can create change you know and that is what's happening just at the moment i guess yeah yeah definitely definitely mm. well let's hope we seize that opportunity well <laughs> Sabina, no. <laughs> Sabina Spindler. Well, you've, yeah, I mean, you've done brilliantly on your one, Thank two, you. three things. You I think, too. you know, I. <laughs> Thanks I for editing. I know. I mean, I just, I love it. I could sit here and listen and talk about this stuff. And you're right. It's not about us talking about it. It's about no. getting it out there a yeah. bit further. Um, but um, I'm going to, I'm going to gently in a kind of yes. um, seamless, seamless uh, broadcasting manner, move us away from the three things, which are, I think, brilliant things, all beautifully interconnected. And not one can really function without the other two, I don't no. think either. So um, I like that a lot. Thank you very much. Uh, and, uh, but I'd like to now just sort of gently move away from that and ask you the the sort of final latter part of the show. Are you familiar with yes, what happens I, next? Yes, I know what. Oh, happens okay, next. that's very good. You've done your you've done your research yes. exceptionally well, Sabina. Thank you very much. Um, so you get to choose a book about food, mm -hmm. something you can drink while you're reading the book. And if you, this is a slightly new feature, just for you, you can almost define where you'd like to be while you can do that. But the rules still apply that you're not allowed to go anywhere else or have like a whole shelf of books. I know it's difficult. It's like someone asking you to choose your favorite album. Mm -hmm. And you always think, oh, well, I've got at least 20 that I need to have on the same level. And you're not allowed to do that. You have to pick one. And ideally, it's one um, that you, you know, you've got, a, well, obviously you're not going to choose one that you don't have a connection to. And number two is a drink to go with it. And then finally, when we're sort of moving right out of the, the show and into our normal lives again, um, I'll ask you to nominate somebody to come on and they can be alive, dead, real, fictitious, whatever you like. Okay, so are you a food book person? Do you collect yeah, cookery yes. books? Yes, um, look, I, um, when I left Australia two and a half years ago, I... I'm this person who still has things somehow spread around the world. So I didn't really <laughs> pack up all my things because I didn't know how it would turn out over here. So um, I'm always thinking, you know, by the end of the year, I basically have to go back because um, my biggest assets are my cookbooks and they're all still down under. So I, I think I just took one or two cookbooks um, with me and, um, 
so I was thinking about this whole cookbook thing and <laughs> look it's hard I, I, you think, it, it is it's very hard and I had very many different as you said I, I love these questions though because it makes you really think uh, and very deeply so I have to say my dearest friend Noni and I we've been thinking about writing a cookbook together for many years and that would be my, my my number one if it was already existing, but unfortunately it hasn't happened yet. But I I'm sure we we will do it in our lifetime. We've um, got to make that happen. Yes. We have to make that yes. book happen. Yes. Um, how do we? How can we make that happen? Let me. I don't know. Anyone out there listening? Can you please, anything to do with publishing? Let us know. Yeah. We need to make this book happen. Yeah. Um, I want to read it. I'll pre-order it. Yeah. I'll pre-order it now, and then they have to write it. Yeah, that's no. what's going to happen. That's it. Okay. Um. Okay. So, but. When I started my apprenticeship, uh, or you know, after my apprenticeship, or during my apprenticeship, and after my apprenticeship, I felt very drawn to London, and I came a few times to London, and you know, I was a big lover of um, books for cooks, um, and mm. I know that I went there a lot um, to just read cookbooks and have a little lunch, and. I remember that I bought um, this book um, that was the Sugar Club cookbook from oh, Peter yeah. Gordon. And I bought it on one of my trips to London and, you know, I had just flicked through, but it was also exotic. And I thought, oh, well, you just go and take it home with you and you start cooking stuff out of it. And I had eaten, I was very interested in that kitchen, you know, which went a little bit with Asian influences because I was, I'd never been exposed to things like that. And this cookbook, um, has been then with me for many years. And I remember ordering, I mean, going through ingredients list with things like fish sauce and palm sugar, stuff I've never known that they had existed, you know, and I had yeah, to buy yeah, them. Yeah. They were my first online shopping experiences with food to get ingredients to be able to cook the recipes out of the book and then I, I know that I cooked a family dinner for Christmas um, solely out of this cookbook and I left it in my car and uh, left a window open accidentally and it rained into the car and the book now has actually moldy bits on sides and it's oh, very that... it's almost falling apart but for me no, no, that, that was the world you know, it it opened yeah. the world for a different kind of food. You know, fish sauce. Um, if you have never known about fish sauce and it arrives in a parcel on your doorstep and you open it and you think, oh, and you don't, you, you, your first impulse is that you don't want to cook with it. And you think, yeah. but, you know, it's the most, you know, for me, it opened up a whole new world, probably the reason why I wanted to go to Australia later on and, you know, learn more about cooking which comes a little bit you know that whole crossover whatever they call yeah. this um fusion thing it, it just inspired me immensely and you know i i made my dad buying the cookbook because he was so inspired by the food we cooked out of it and you know it's um it's still very vivid and because it played such a big role in the early beginnings of my chefing career, I think I would like to sit with that book and be a little bit nostalgic on nice. this island, um, wherever that I'm is. I'm a bit annoyed. 
I'm a bit annoyed because I haven't got that. I'm going to have to buy that, which is <laughs> annoying. Okay, so that's annoying, yeah. but also good because I'm looking forward to finding out about it. What are you going yeah. to drink while you're reading the book? Hmm. Um, look, I told you about these friends of mine who actually both came out of publishing and lived in London for quite quite a while um, until they decided to take over the family business in northern Bavaria and make natural wine. Do you know a little bit about that? I know oh. it's um, it's. <laughs> It's it's a way of making wine without a lot of intervention and no um, artificial yeasts and um, yeah. other basically products which are pumped into a lot of conventional wine to make it taste always the same. Um, yeah. So these friends of mine, they, they've been doing this for seven years and um, especially in the UK, they're immensely well known and funnily I it was easier for me to get their wines in Australia than it is here in Germany because I mean they're here in Germany but we, we are always a little bit behind with things which are a little bit more innovative in 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 fields where we where we're really sort of proud of our old traditions. So, look, mm -hmm. France makes beautiful wines like that. Italy does, Austria does, but the Germans are a little bit behind. But these people, they make amazing wines. And, you know, I've tasted them a year after they came back from London and I tasted the first wines and, you know, the way they went and made their mistakes and offered me a home whenever I went there and worked with them and got my hands dirty and had my fix for that. Um, it has a very, um, it's of course a very personal connection I have to the wines and yeah, yeah I, I planted two vineyards with them so far and, you know, there, there is something in it. So it will always be a homecoming of drinking their wine. Um, so I think it would be one of their wines and they make... Uh, well, you're very you're very committed. I mean, <laughs> I might I might go so far as to buy a new corkscrew, but I've never planted, I've never planted a, a vine in my life, although I do have some friends that have vineyards in various different circumstances. Can you give me the name, please, yes. of the so, wine, though, so um, that I can put so a link the, to it yeah, on the page? Um, these friends are called, or their business is called Zwei Naturkinder, which is... Um, <laughs> It's okay. Can you email it to me? I emailed it to you, and um, it's obviously a um, a German name. It's yeah name. Yeah, got that. Are you familiar with the um, um, term Heimat? The German word Heimat, which is a very specific way. Uh, you can't really translate it into English. It's uh, it's home. You know where you where you are home, where you where your roots are, where you feel yeah. your soul is, and that all sort of we put in that word Heimat. Mm. Um, okay, and got you, got you. So the wine which I like to drink on my island, it's called Wilde Heimat, which is translated to Wild Home. You know this, oh, and it, that uh, is brilliant. Yeah, and um, <laughs> I like these people. I like these people yes. already, and I haven't and, even. You, you can get it easily where you are, very easily. Okay, okay. I'm gonna okay. look it up. I'm I, gonna get. Yeah, it I'm gonna write you an email. So, um, they um, they're in northern Bavaria in a wine region called Franconia, and the name of their business is translated to to nature children 
So that is when you translate it. But um, they um, they do beautiful wine with a lot of heart okay. and soul. And, mm. oh, sounds really nice. <laughs> That sounds really nice. I'm looking forward to that and the book. Um, Okay, brilliant. Well, that's two inspirational projects for me. Get the book, sit down, get the the wine. Get the wine and enjoy it together. Um, Yeah, it might inspire me to plant a grape grape vine somewhere. Right. Okay, brilliant. I'm well. Those are fantastic. I really like the depth of connection in those. That that's really really cool. Um, I've had so much fun talking to you, Sabine. Me too, Tim. Brilliant. Yeah, it's been wonderful. really good. And, you know, I think it, it was a point you touched on earlier. It can be difficult to have these conversations without sounding judgmental. But I don't and you don't want to judge anyone. We just oh. want to mm-hmm. do the thing that you're doing and tell people about it. And then it's up to them. Right. Yeah, I like that. I, yeah. I, I like that. And I like the connection here. So that's really cool. It's been a real pleasure to meet you before I boot you off the show and say cheerio. Can you nominate somebody to come on for yes, us, please? I can. They don't have to come on. Easily. There's no commitment there, but, you know, it'd be good to know. <laughs> um, I would like to nominate another amazing friend I met in Australia. Um, he's a baker and okay. used to work um, for big companies like Subway and stuff and made um, on a very high scale really really awful bread until he totally turned around and is now milling his own flour um, and connecting with farmers who um, grow um, wheat varieties which are not genetically modified and made into something really nasty. Um, I met him through Nerdy, the whole baker world, and... um, yeah, he is. Um, he's a man with a. He's um, of Italian origin, and um, he is a man with a very big heart. <laughs> and um, I think he. <laughs> What's his okay, name, so, Sabina? His name is <laughs> Cesare, which is Caesar. You know the Italians yeah. are not really good with modest things. And um, his name is Cesare Salemi. And um, he used to run a bakery called Dust in Sydney and now has a bakery called the Providence Bakery. Um, And I think he is on a mission of changing the world. That's what he says. And I think he's he's got a big enough heart and he's a big character. Um, He will be able to make very big changes and I'm very proud to meet him. And he's a... Yeah, he, he is a beautiful talk, person to talk to and he has a, an amazing, very touching story. So I think you two would hit it off very well. Fantastic. <laughs> yes, I, well, I want to talk to him. Yeah. So. I want to talk to him. I'm going to stalk him down on, <laughs> yes. online, find him and corner him into agreeing to something um, yes. in terms of coming on. That, that sounds like someone I definitely want to have a chat with. That is the brilliant thing about the Madam's Cast that I hadn't realised when I started it was – was that I'm finding all these amazing people. I don't feel so alone anymore. And I know there's lots of other people out there, but we've got people from Australia, uh, New Zealand, Tasmania, Germany, yeah. uh, Devon, all over the place. Everyone's everyone's thinking and saying similar stuff. So we can't be very far away from yeah. this brilliant new world of food that we all want so much. Yep, I think that makes this very clear. Sabina, 
Thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. You've been a delight to have on the show and I can't wait to the next time we get to have a chat together. Me neither, Tim. Thank you so much. All right. All the best. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Bye.